Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, regular listeners, you may have spotted that we've changed our name. It's now Honey & Co. The Food Sessions. So if you hear this sound, it's just us making dinner. Well, that and the fact that we're not allowed to use our old title anymore. It's just been a bit of a thing, but don't worry about it. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to the special edition of Honey and Coat, where I, Sarit Packer, and I, Itamar Sulovic, aka Honey and Co., talk to the cooks, waiters, makers, writers, drinkers, and thinkers that we most admire from the world of food. But this week, we've come out of our kitchen to head over to West London to the Victoria and Albert Museum for a taster of a new exhibition called Bigger Than the Plate. And this is the first of a few visits, because over the summer, we'll be hosting live editions of the from right here at the museum. Today, we're here to give you a bit of a sneak preview. To show us around the exhibition, we have the curators, Catherine Flood and May Rosenthal Sloan. Catherine and May, hello. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having us. It was uh, a little bit grander than our usual digs. Yes, we're very excited but, to be uh, here. Don't worry, we're not going to get used to it. I might <laughs> get used to it. So we're here at the V&A Historical Galleries. We've been promised that we can get our hands dirty because not very far from where we are now, there's a live mushroom farm, believe it or not, here in West London. It's not just any mushrooms. They're part of an innovative food production experiment, aren't they? Yes, we've worked with GrowCycle, who are incredible mushroom growing experts from Devon, to actually create a live mushroom farm in the gallery. So the coffee grounds originate in our cafe and we grow beautiful oyster mushrooms in the gallery, also delicious. And then they're going to be harvested and served back to our visitors in the cafe. So this is in a way a live exhibition? Yeah, absolutely. And, and they grow quite quickly, but you'll see them in different stages of growth and they'll be replaced and harvested as they develop. It was very exciting while we were installing the exhibition. We were all on Mushroom Watch and um, we've selected different colours. So we have greys, um, pinks, yellows. It's very, very beautiful for me as a chef. That was one of the, the most striking things as you walk in. But let, let's backtrack a bit and tell us why are you holding a food exhibition now at the v I think it's an extremely important moment to be talking about not just what are we going to be eating tomorrow, but what kind of food future do we want? And that was really the inspiration for the show, um, seeing from so many different quarters a growing desire for a food future that's more sustainable, um, fair and importantly delicious than the one we're currently cultivating. And 
also to showcase just some incredibly um, creative work that's happening around these questions and is involving artists and designers who are, we are a museum of art and design and just started to see that lots of practitioners were turning to food as a subject matter and material and working it with it in incredibly experimental and exciting ways and collaborating with scientists and chefs and farmers. So it's a really vibrant area of art and design work that we felt we should give space to. So the mushroom farm is, is such a great example of what this exhibition is about, but there are perhaps even more imaginative things on display here. Can you tell us a few highlights of, of that? I mean, there are so many highlights. So one for me is the work of product designer Caroline Niebling, who has teamed up with a, a butcher and a chef. And she was interested in the history of the sausage as a designed object and the idea of the ingenuity using small amounts of meat, but making them go further through kind of creative design historically. Uh, but the project now has become future facing. So she's worked with a chef and a butcher to rethink how the sausage could be a newly designed object that responds to our contemporary needs. So a lot of those are about reducing meat consumption, but she's very clear. She's not telling anyone that they need to be vegetarian. If you look at the way foods like the sausage are designed, there are ways of reducing that meat, uh, replacing it with other things and making um, this kind of object uh, exciting in different ways that still respond to our kind of ecological social needs. Seeing sausage as an object that's been designed (laughs) is quite radical because we just take it for granted. You don't think about the process that went into... In aspects of design, another one that struck me was was the whole chickens, which I want you to tell a little about, but, but that is creating a designer chicken as well, isn't it? Can you tell us a bit about this project? We got really interested in the idea that um, domestic farm animals are designed objects and we've been altering both plants and animals for thousands of years through um, selective breeding or even just domestication. So Kuhn van Mechelen is a a Belgian conceptual artist. Um, So he started off looking at how different countries have bred their very specific forms of poultry. So different countries have really specific own chickens which look quite different. But it means that a lot of the time the gene pools of those breeds have been narrowing over centuries. Um, So 20 years ago, he decided to make a a sort of comment about cultural diversity and biodiversity by breeding a French chicken with a Belgian chicken on the border of the two countries. (laughs) This was, you know, very much a poetic act. And every time he went to a new country would breed one of his birds with one of the local birds. Um, And this went on for 20 years and very soon the scientific community started paying attention to what he was doing and realising that the birds he was breeding were really unrivaled. They had a, a really rich genetic makeup. They were disease resistant. They were resilient. They're really beautiful. We have examples of them in the gallery that you can see. They're looking resplendent. But it's a really great example of that thing of science following art uh, and how creative experiments can have exciting practical applications. And he works with small scale poultry farmers all over the world. I always have this thing about the practicalities of this guy traveling around with chickens everywhere. Does he do that? 
I, I think he probably does. Yes. Yes. I just, you know, I just think of the legit. Like, how do you do? You carry, do you send them in in the luggage? How do you carry chickens? We asked maybe. him. We asked him about uh, the prospect of bringing live birds to the UK, and it's, that's something we're still hoping might happen. Is uh, during the run of the show that we will we'll collaborate with a farm to produce a new breed of of his planetary community chicken. But we did ask him about how he brings the the birds over, and he was slightly mysterious about <laughs> it. So we're not not quite sure. You don't. Some things you don't want to know. A bird <laughs> Yeah. But I should say that these are the most loved, pampered, looked after, happy birds you'll ever see in your, your life. <laughs> well, of, co- of course they well, are. They are, you know, they're, they're works of art. Yeah. yeah. He is also a really great visual artist. And um, when the project is displayed in galleries, as it is here, it's usually done with these enormous portraits of the chickens, yeah. photographs. It is, there's all the features on there. You can really see kind of facial features and you look at it and it's quite... It is quite a different experience to look at a chicken like that in this kind of up-close, personal kind of intimate thing where you would look at the beak, I should say. It's just quite beautiful. The whole exhibition is actually very, very beautiful. It's kind of soft. You've used these kind of beautiful uh, curtains to soften everything. And it's a, it's a journey through a process. So you're going really following the whole procedures, starting from composting. And this is quite an interesting choice. Why starting from composting? Um, I think it was to make it very clear that we're talking about a cycle and, you know, not a, a chain of consumption with us at the end of it. You know, traditionally, composting waste is the beginning of new growth. The next ones that you go into are farming. Mm. Tell us the, the cycle, the way you see it. So we go from, as you say, composting and the idea of waste to farming and our relationships with the land, the people, the animals and the plants um, that, that yield our food. Then through into trading, so we're looking at supply chains and having a kind of historic look at the ways that design has allowed supply chains to lengthen and changed our relationship with food. That part I thought was really interesting because I think we think of our food growing and we know that it comes to the plate and we eat it, but the whole chain of trade sometimes get lost and it's a it's a huge deal well that's one of the things you know it's it's in some ways important to the way the modern food system works that we don't know very much about the trade um, element of how how food physically gets to us i love the little story of the banana passport it's a beautiful project so this is a a pair of icelandic designers who were interested in the journey of a, a single banana from ecuador where it was originally produced to iceland and they were critiquing the idea of the made in label which you know gives you a country of origin which is in fact incredibly misleading so they have redesigned the made in label and it's no longer a small round thing with a single country's name on it it's now a real really long kind of ribbon attached to the banana but they've illustrated in really beautiful drawings the entire journey of that banana from Ecuador to Iceland and charted the I think it's 33 hands that it's gone through all the national borders that it's crossed to give you a really tangible sense of a single food items journey. Do we stop in the middle of the cycle? Yes, sorry. Yes. We stopped. Let's go cycle. back to our cycle. Composting, farming, trading. And then from trading, we go into eating, which also includes cooking. So it's a kind of finale which brings together most of the other elements of the exhibition. So that idea, again, that um, every time you eat, you are implicated in all the rest of the parts of the cycle. So each act of eating connects you to nature, to culture, to politics, economics, to your own bodies, to each other. And that if we eat in a way that puts us into the position of being more than just passive consumers. Collectively, we have the power to, to really make changes in the world. 
within the eating, there are some things there that maybe I wouldn't eat. <laughs> uh, some fridges contain some cheeses that that were done in a very different way. Can you tell us a bit about? Yeah, it's a, it's a project called Self Made. It was originally done by um, Christina Agapakis, who's a synthetic biologist, and Cecil Tolas, who's an artist who works with smell. And the inspiration is that the um, bacteria on human skin is extremely close to the bacteria that's traditionally used to make cheese and you know we've had to work with microbes um, to make lots of our tastiest foods without them there'd be no cheese or beer or chocolate etc um, but since the mid-19th century we've had a kind of a real sort of fear of bacteria as soon as we were able to see it under the microscope and understand that some bacteria kills and causes disease but you know um, a lot of um, microbes are absolutely essential to to our gut, to how we digest. And scientists are, are finding out more and more about the importance of the microbiome and how it even affects our mental health and possibly even our personality. So this project takes... Um, bacteria from someone's skin using a swab and then um, allows that to grow in a petri dish until you've got enough to make cheese and then you follow the the ordinary process of um, of adding the bacteria um, to to milk and creating cheese and so each cheese becomes essentially a portrait (laughs) um, (laughs) in microbes of the person that you've that you've sampled and I think it's kind of sort of fascinating and there was particularly where the issue of smell comes in um, because you know sort of smells that we kind of feel might be very delicious when we think of them as cheese as soon as they're associated with the body part (laughs) it's quite repellent it's all all about context (laughs) even if if they're very similar smells and actually have the same bacterial pathways so it's that thing of yeah context being everything I I agree it's a a mind-boggling aspect of thinking that you can make cheese out of I don't want to name names, but people's uh, armpits or, or pubic hair. I and think you probably can name names. But <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's written there quite largely who the bacteria is from. I think what was nice about that, which that kind of throws you back a bit and you're like, ooh, Heston's pubic hair. I don't know that I want to try that so much. And then on the other side, there's there's actual natural fermentation. So you've, yeah. and this is probably the biggest on vogue subject for, for anyone in the food world. For us, it's kind of, we, we laugh about it a bit because this is what we have been doing for generations. Exactly. Karen Guthrie, who's produced um, the amazing installation House of Ferment that we're showing, um, her point is that fermentation is time. That's the point. The flavor is the flavor of time, which is required. It's beautiful. To, uh, yeah. Exactly. The installation is a, a mobile larder, which is a, a recreation of the larder that they have at Lawson Park Farm, um, which is part of Grisdale Arts up in the Lake District. And it's a kind of evolving collection of uh, fermented foods, artefacts, books, um, which all engage in the idea of fermentation in different cultures uh, throughout history around the world. And Karen made the really beautiful point, I thought, that she, as an artist, doesn't come from a family of artists or a background of, of people who were engaged in art. But for her, the, one of the first examples she ever had of creativity and of seeing creativity at work was her mother in the kitchen and the other women in their family um, creating foods, uh, fermenting foods, and that feeling that the kitchen is a site of really everyday creativity and in a way, artistic practice, but which often goes unrecognised because it's traditionally seen in a domestic setting as women's work. And so this is a really amazing celebration of 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. That I was um, wanting to ask you a little bit of a personal question. I don't know, if, not personal, but is it about bacteria? It's not about, it's not about any of your bacteria. No, not about bacteria. Was used, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Just about a moment each of you had through this process, a moment when you thought, wow, this is really important. Seeing people come into the space for the first time and interact with them, there is uh, an example of a project which is about the quality of bones in organic versus industrially farmed chicken. And it's just a really amazing. simple visual impact of the process of turning bones into bone china. The industrially farmed chicken creates a bone china which is crumbly and falling apart and the organically farmed one is, as you might expect a bone china to be, it's beautiful and it's smooth and it's just a really simple idea of how to visually show that process and see the reality of the quality of birds produced through different farming methods. I think uh, I think another um, kind of sort of real moment for us was the commission that we did with the Fool and Fruit artists, the pattern they've made, which has been produced as a wallpaper. It's so beautiful. kind of spans, you know, one entire wall of the gallery. Um, and that was based on them working in our prints and drawings collections, taking out um, examples of illustrations of fruit that grows in the UK. Because um, they've also made um, fruit maps for foraging in London. Um, so there's a very practical element to it. And it's looking back to the history of, um, of the museum before the museum was built. The ground was um, a very famous nursery that cultivated fruit trees that were sent all around the country and developed new varieties of apples and and pears. And their sense of making the how we could look to the, the past and our kind of cultural relationship with something like fruit mm. to make the city a more productive and generous space. And it's quite an inspiring yeah. idea. It's very simple. I think it's quite evident that um, a big change will happen in food production and food consumption. Do you think that this is going to be a top-down change or a grassroots change? Or probably you, you're, you two are the biggest experts in the world right now <laughs> on, on food design. Where, where do you see it? I think there's something that runs through the whole exhibition is the idea of sort of food democracy and that, you know, ideas and decisions can 
bubble up from from below and that's actually where some of the most imaginative ideas are coming from um so one of the projects is called the personal food computer from mit um, which is essentially a grow box with um, very high-tech sensors so you can monitor everything about the plants and the inputs but it's open source technology essentially anyone could build this and then share their data with other users and the reason that they're doing it is they're saying that you know in the in the uk and the us less than 2% of the population are involved in agriculture and you know how do you get good ideas from just from just 2% and so with this kind of personalized food computer as they call it they want to involve a digitally native generation in getting excited about agricultural research and growing and you know what what are your what's important you know, are you experimenting to get good flavors or nutrition whereas you know maybe in the industry what they want is you know plants that are easily transportable <laughs> um, and that fit into industrial supply chains um, so I think yeah an important theme is um, is that idea of more people being involved in in decisions around around food what would you like ideally for people to visit the exhibition to leave with I think we'd like them to leave with a sense of criticism, absolutely, of the the existing food system and how we've got to the place that we're at, but with a sense of optimism as well and hope and a desire to be conscious and present in, in the decisions that we're all making around food every day. And certainly we're not being didactic about what we think anyone should eat or how we think the future should be. No. It's about what collectively we should demand from the governments and the companies that feed us. I thought I'd say one more thing about the the breaking bread chain, which uh, I thought was quite amazing. And it's something I would kind of incorporate into what we do. And it's just the simplest idea and you never think of it. But it's this mm. a chain that's baked into a challah bread, which for us, of course, is kind of the, the bread we would eat. And on two sides are like little pulleys. So when you would pull the chain would stretch and tear the bread for you. So the sharing kind of becomes this, of course, you can just tear a bread without it. But I like that idea of of embedding it into the baking. So the kind of end part of the exhibition are all these like little things people have thought about. There's a lot, a lot to see. Yeah, the, the challah handles as well, I have to just say, uh, is, is one of the exhibits that I'm most proud of because I baked that bread. Did you? I did. <laughs> yeah. It's very beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> I think when we got May on board at um, um, <laughs> the V&A to work on this show, <laughs> didn't realise what actually brilliant cooking skills she had. <laughs> I see you well, bought the whole thing a, with there's you. There's a job offer coming your way. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> In case the V&A becomes too much, there's always room at the Honey and Co Bakery. I think there's plenty of challah bread to be baked. <laughs> True. Catherine and May, we want to thank you so much for having us here today and, and for putting up this incredible exhibition that is such an important thing to have at, at this moment in time. Go team. Good. Yeah. Would you like to sit with each other and face the microphone? If we share a microphone, we should sit in, sit in the middle, right? Yeah. You, can look at her, you need to look at me, but you need to be facing the mic. Okay. Uh, we are joined by the incredibly stylish and jolly David Burns and Austin Young. Hello, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Hi, how are you? Hi. David and Austin, tell us everything about yourselves. Don't tell us everything about yourselves. Tell us <laughs> about your part in this wonderful exhibition. We were invited to take a look at the historical archives of the V&A Museum as a source to be inspired to make a work of art for the exhibition Food Bigger Than the Plate. 
Catherine and May asked us to focus on farming and the history of the the site here. So so we did have a focus of looking at at fruit because this used to be the location of the Brompton fruit nursery before the museum was built. So you created the beautiful wallpaper that is around the exhibition. We've been working on wallpapers as a part of our practice for going on about 10 years. And the fun thing about getting to do wallpapers here is that the collection itself has one of the most amazing collections of wallpapers and, and illustrations and from the print and drawing room archives. It's just kind of incredible, yeah. It's beautiful because you've managed to bring together quite a kind of almost traditional still life thing in a very, very contemporary way. And it sits really beautifully in the exhibition and I would assume in quite a lot of, uh, you know, very expensive London homes later. But (laughs) (laughs) tell us a bit about this process, about looking through stuff. What struck you, if there's anything that really struck you when you were looking through the history of the V&A? One of the things that we did to make this, of course, I said, we walked the museum, we looked, and we looked really at a, almost every object, I think, to see what had fruit in it, on it, or about it. And we discovered that there's things that repeat. So like, what were the color palettes that were being used across centuries and time? And what was the images that were used that included fruit that create these cultural reference points for different class systems and different bodies of knowledge. And they end up here in this museum, which has been a museum that sets a tone for the world on what a museum can be. And for us, that was very exciting. And then when you look through the print archives and you look through the historical record through print and illustration and drawing, you see other patterns and you see them overlap and match. And those are those moments that are really exciting. When you see these coincidences that you realize aren't accidents. So other than being extremely beautiful, what what do you want people to get from this? We look at fruit in public space. So we've also created maps of different neighborhoods in London. Which ones? Which neighborhoods? Well, we did. um, My favorite map is perhaps because it's so unexpected is uh, the City of London map, which is along near Embankment Station. It runs along the river. And we discovered that there's a tremendous amount of fruit trees within a short distance. And what's really terrific about the fruit trees are they're things I would never expect to find here. So cherries make sense, and of course apples, and um, things in that nature, nut trees, of course, that are edible. But what was also there that we got so excited about are these magnificent fig trees. Loads of fig trees. and, and, And there are bananas which is bizarre and wonderful. And there are quite a few loquat trees, and a lot of people may not know what they are, but loquats are a fruit that's really common to the southwest of the United States as well that were brought in. And the Middle East. And they're just a delicious fruit that you hardly can find at market, and they're kind of all over that park. It's kind of great. So they're not an accident that they're here. And those things are exciting to us. One of the things we did is we also mapped the locations around the V&A that there could be fruit trees. And we we mapped, there's a lot of ornamental fruit trees around this, this area. So we mapped the ones that could potentially be grafted to grow real, real fruits. So we, we'd like to think that our cities could be like communal gardens in a way. 
Uh, so we also we also created an online map called the Endless Orchard, where people can plant a fruit tree in front of their house that's within reach of the public, and um, then map it and share it. That is so cool. We would uh, definitely not gonna share our secret stashes. No, we have, of, we have <laughs> like our secret yeah. trees of elderflower, our secret sour plums, a few of the crab apples around. I mean, yeah. it's it's we're we're quite lucky in South London. I think there's quite. A lot more than there. It's sunnier. <clears throat> it's sunnier. <laughs> Don't think it's sunnier in South London. I think there's maybe a few of the parks that have kept a bit more of this kind of um, the whole Blackberry kind of trails that you can still walk and pick all the stuff. So yeah, it's fascinating, and it would be quite nice if people knew where to go as long as it's not ours. You've seen the exhibition. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, tell us about one of your highlights. What I like about the exhibition is that it's like reading. An incredible book about what could, what we could change about our future, or what we could be. And for us, it's really exciting. We've been in part of these conversations of our work's been going on for you know about fifteen years. So we've been in shows about food and food security for some time. And this one is different. It is more sophisticated in the way it's thinking holistically, the way it's thinking transnationally, and the way it's thinking in terms of real impact to community and day-to-day -day experience of life. And for that reason alone, it's a great show. Huh. David and Austin, thank you so, so, so much. It's been thank you a so very much, genuine yeah. pleasure. Thank, thank you, you very much. We'll be holding some live events in the V&A during the summer. Listen up for more information about these events. They're all related to this exhibition, to artists that are coming. We're going to hold our Honey and Coat sessions with them live in front of an audience. For more information about tickets, check out our website, uh, subscribe and listen on. That was beautiful. Good. Then you shut up for two seconds. Yeah. See, that's all we needed to do. Huh? <laughs> Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.